Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. Finally, a trail cam viewer that actually works. Lowdown's high-speed trail cam viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7-inch viewers. Lowdown is a dedicated viewer slash photo manager made for one thing and one thing only. Fast, uncomplicated viewing of your trail cam images and videos. Lowdown makes viewing large numbers of images fast and easy. It allows you to easily delete individuals or groups of selected images. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you're frustrated with typical hunting and fishing magazines and tired of reading content, then for guys that are up in the north or up in the Midwest, check out Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Don't get left behind following the guidance of guys who don't fish or hunt in your home state. You can pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and it will help you become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, or you can save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. I'm your host, Joe Byer, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. And Butch, today we're going to be getting primed up for fall food plots, but specifically no-till food plots. Uh, you know, this is my third season doing no-till. I've been uh, impressed with the results so far, but also I've, I've had my challenges associated with it. Have you guys played around with no-till yet on your place? Man, we honestly have not. Kind of still stuck in our old ways, which is, you know. It's not broken. Bo- no, it's not. You know, it's me and and my family. We all do it together, so it's kind of hard to get everybody on the same page just doing the old same conventional method, right. to be honest with you. So to introduce a new method, you know, you just get some pushback, and it's a transition for sure. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, it does require uh, to, to do it well, to do it and, and really see all the benefits of it. You, you do need some specialized equipment. We're going to get into that today and into what specialized equipment you might want to consider if if you're convinced of the benefits. But also, you can do this with just conventional equipment that you've, you've got. I mean, you don't have to have anything special. If you've got a sprayer and a spreader, you can, you can do no-till. But you're going to be faced with some of the same challenges you're faced with doing it conventionally. And it's going to take you a while. It's going to, it's going to take some thought and some, some planning to get it done right. We're going to go through both of those things today, how to do it without a drill, how to do it with a drill, but first and foremost, why in the heck you'd want to do it in the first place. So to do that, we're talking with Paul Hollis of PH Outdoors. Paul, last time we had you on Hunt Land, it was Paul Hollis of RTP Outdoors. So t- take us through the uh, the newly launched PH Outdoors and what you guys are up to. Well, we're up to the same old thing, to be honest with you, making no-till drills, crimpers and things and selling to people out there doing food plots and and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, the former company that I was with, RTP Outdoors, they decided that they had wanted to to move on and uh, with some prodding uh, and some coaching from people, uh, I decided to take the ball and run on my own and we started PH Outdoors. Very cool. Well, you know, you have been involved in no-till food plotting for a really long time. I've been getting more and more into it. This is a this will be my third season doing it. I've been very impressed with the results with minimal equipment that that I've been using, and I, I can't wait to see what 
what it's going to be like when I get my place to where it needs to be, to be able to use all the tools that are, that are out there uh, to be able to no-till. But, you know, a lot of people, this is still new to them. I mean, it, as I drive through the countryside, I would have to guess in the agricultural fields that I'm seeing, it's maybe one in 10 where I'm seeing some no-till practices, if that, really. So in the grand scheme of things, I still think this is new to a lot of people. So why plant a no-till food plot? What are the what are the main benefits? Let's start there. Oh man, there's so many. Uh, time savings is a big one, as you guys know, and you know I think we've talked before off off air even that uh, the time savings is big for guys like us where we're trying to get it done. You know, on a weekend, mm-hmm. you know, you you don't have a crew of people; it's you out there doing on your own land. So time savings is big. Fuel savings is big if you're if you're like me, you don't live on your on your hunting grounds or your farm, you know, I, I drive back and forth two hours, you know? Um, so there's fuel savings, time savings, you know, you get, uh, you're going to save money on seed. You've got better calibration. You've got better seed to soil contact. You're not wasting as much with, you know, you know, around here, a lot of people have been broadcasting seed. We've been dry for weeks, you know, sooner or later, we're going to get that deluge where there's going to be three to four inches of rain. And a lot of that's just going to wash away. Yep. You know, when you're disking and, and tilling, you're bringing up weeds, which means you're, you need more herbicide versus less. You know, erosion control, uh, you know, from water and wind. Um, you reduce uh, the needs for fertilizer and herbicide. Um, you're enriching your soil diversity. You know, every time you till or disk, you're out there killing, you know, you're out there killing worms. You're killing uh, the roots of the plants. Um, so there's... A lot of different reasons why no-till is beneficial to people. You know, I've experienced the same thing myself. For me, don't get me wrong, I enjoy all the benefits. And I I do feel like it's a responsibility of mine to steward my land to the best of my knowledge. And that includes the soil. You know, it includes what you don't see uh, as much as it includes the trees and the grasses and the things that you do see. But I, you hit the nail on the head for me right out of the gate, which is so much time saved, not only in the actual time planting, because it's just fewer passes, period. But I live three and a half hours from my hunting property. So mm. to be able to get up there and pretty much know that I'm going to be able to plant, not to say that I won't still try to time it with moisture that I see coming and those kind of things, but having a little bit of insurance, knowing that I've got that seed in the ground as opposed to sitting on top, uh, is yeah, really our, helpful. Our Butch, broad, Butch helped me replant last, last year. year. <laughs> yeah. We had a, we had a blunder on the, on the no rain thing last year. And if those seeds would have been drilled into the ground, it would not have been an issue. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was even no, that was even still trying to no till, you know, we, we saw half inch of rain in the, in the three day forecast and we're like, all right, let's do it. So we ran up there and did it. And then the rain just never came. So we ended up replanting and, and, you know, that's, that's added cost, not only in seed, but it was added cost in me having to drive back up there, having to spend a bunch of time out there, uh, doing it. So for me, just the benefits to myself are awesome and my own pocketbook. But then when you start to look into people who understand, uh, soil biology, a lot more, than I do people like Grant Woods, for example, Mm -hmm. it's amazing, uh, what's happening under the surface and, and no-till is a big part of that. And so I I think that probably the biggest hurdle I see into getting started 
is that we've all been doing it a certain way for so long. We've got this investment in equipment implements that all help us plant. Be a tough transition. Yeah, with conventional tillage, it's tough to mm. go out there and be like, "Oh, okay. Well, you mean just all that stuff I've invested in is no longer needed?" <laughs> so, you know, if you're trying to kind of give somebody the gateway drug into no-till, uh, I think it's to use the equipment they've already got to to no-till. And let's talk about that a little bit. Um, if you want to plant without a no-till drill, mm-hmm. give me a basic overview of the equipment you're going to need to do that. Yeah, there's so many different ways you could do it, but you know, I, I'm that guy. You know, I've got a barn full of of disc and uh, you know drags and spreaders and just all kinds of stuff that I'm slowly getting rid of, and I don't begrudge people that that do that. Uh, you know, those different practices, but you know, you you know, if you're planting plots, you can you can go out and be as inexpensive as just having a chain harrow and dragging, dragging the ground and, and broadcasting with a hand, you know, one of those hand crank spreaders. Um, you can get up into disc and, and tillers and, and spreading, um, you know, and have a culti packer and kind of tamp that seed into the ground. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. And, and a lot of it depends upon what your budget is, you know, and when I was a young man, I didn't have a big budget. So, you know, there were times I was out with a with a rotary tiller that I got from a rental store mm. and was out hand broadcasting. So there's a lot of different tools you can use for food plots. And, you know, I've always said and I've said to you guys, uh, it's, it's not really, uh, you know, the way I look at it, it's not about what tools you have or or in these kinds of things. It's, it's the fact that you're getting out there doing it. You're trying to improve the habitat. You're getting outside. You're getting your kids outside. You know, we all need to to look at that. You know, I'd love everybody to no-till. You know, it's beneficial for the environment. You know, of course, I make money on it too. But uh, you know, it, it's it's proven that it's better better for the soil, and everything starts in the soil. So, uh, hopefully, everybody at, at some point everybody graduates to that. But in the meantime, just get out and do it. And you know, if you need advice on any of that stuff, hey, I'm here for you. You know. I- uh, the basic process that I've used to to no-till without a drill and really pretty minimal equipment is a combination of herbicide and broadcasting. Um, Butch has been there with me when I've done it. Uh, it's really pretty simple. Uh, just got out there a few weeks, two to three weeks in advance of when I wanted to plant or, you know, kind of my window for planting, herbicided those fields, let that vegetation kind of dry up and and desiccate and then you know kind of start watching the weather at that point the the issue that i've seen with no tilling without drills you really do have to time it right and and make sure you got a good rain coming because you're not getting that seed beneath the surface of the soil and i've had really good results with it honestly we're talking two passes you know one pass with a sprayer another another pass with a with a spreader and uh and that was it you know we we have played around with kind of trying to press that seed into the soil a little bit. You could do that if you've got a cultipacker. I actually did it with the tires on on a, on a UTV and the tires on a tractor. Uh, just kind of rode around in circles, pressing it into the soil. And uh, Butch has seen the results. I mean, it's it comes up and it's green and pretty and the deer like it. And, you know, I've been able to accomplish that. But, you know, there are some issues with that, with that method. Um, timing being one of those things. 
what are what are you the problems you see with the guys that are trying to no till without a drill that that drill really solves? Uh, yeah. as you said it's timing, but when when you put that seed into the soil, you you've got protection for that seed. So you know the rain's not washing it away; it's not drying up. Um, you know the turkeys and whatnot aren't aren't feeding on it. You know, there's a lot of different things. I, I'm just kind of curious with with your your uh, your process that you've been doing. What are you doing with the previous vegetation? Well, I've done two things. So this, like I said, this will be my third season. The first season, I sprayed and I let I let that vegetation just dry out, and then I spread the seed into that, and then I drove over the top of it and just kind of smashed uh-huh. it down on top of that seed. And then last year, Butch and I burned it off. Um, so we, burned it, okay. yeah, so we, we, we sprayed it, you know, let it dry out. And then we came back about three weeks later when the conditions lined up and we burned it off. And so we had really good soil exposure with that, but then you do kind of get into some more trouble, uh, doing that because you throw in that seed right on top of the ground and you hit the nail on the head. I've got game cameras. Oh Yeah proving this the turkeys loved it the hogs loved it i mean they they ate a lot of my seed and so one of the things i had to do one of the problems with that is i basically doubled the recommended seeding rate because i knew i was going to have a lot of seed loss um you wouldn't you would have to yep due to that so you know spending more money on seed is a is a big problem with it and then of course like like we mentioned previously we thought we had timed it correctly uh, with the rain, but uh, ended up not coming and, and actually had to just double. I, so basically, I spent last year quadruple what I should have spent in seed because I doubled the rate and then I had to replant. Uh, and that wasn't a fault of the no-till. That was just a fault of timing. Sure. So, And I would think you, and this is just the thinking, but I would... My thought is you're spending more time because you're making more passes, but then you're making you're making a pass to spray, you're making a pass to to plant, you're making a pass to drive over, right? Culta pack or whatever you're using, even yeah, if it's just so the tractor tires or UGV yeah. tires. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, three passes. Whereas if I'd had a drill, it would have been one. One. No, and there's there's nothing to say there's anything wrong with that. You know, if it grew, that's fine, but. Also would be interested to know what uh, varieties of seed, because if you're planting soybeans and corn, sunflower stuff, you're typically wanting that to get into the soil, mm-hmm. you know, where clovers or brassicas or things, you know, they're, they're pretty shallow, but just curious what, what you were, you were having luck with. Yeah. So that, and that was a big part of my selection process, knowing that I was going to use the broadcast method. Uh, I chose to go with um, a blend of brassicas, clovers, and I still went back with some cereal grains like oats and wheat and uh, cereal rye and yeah. had good results with that. I think those smaller seeds helped me a lot, um, kind of watching how things came back in the spring. You know, you really don't know what's out there, especially in the area that I hunt where you've got a lot of deer and a lot of browse pressure. It was hard to tell exactly what's growing out there because it's kind of lit sure. high. You know, they were mowing it down. But yeah, as we spring, tried, we tried exclusion cages and things like that as well. Yeah, we did, and we we saw a good, you know, good, um, good results out of all the brassicas in the exclusion cages and the in the clovers. As I watched the vegetation progress into the spring, I noticed that what I, 
you know, I was thinking I was going to have a lot of cereal rye start to kind of take things over and bolt. But what it actually ended up being was a lot of rye grass. And mm. I didn't plant rye grass. I've never planted rye grass. It was just in the soil, uh, probably from the previous landowner, I would guess, having having planted it. And, you know, so that weed competition, it's that's not really a weed, but in the sense of it's something that I don't want growing there. I was getting some competition from plants that I don't really want in the field. And uh, that's another issue with it is is just when you when you don't get as good a germination as you would say with a drill, uh, you're you're subject to whatever is in the seed bank. And that was what that was my experience with it. You know, back when I used to till and disc and, and do other things. Uh, and not actually put the seed in the ground. One of the problems I had at my place is most of my most of my plots have a degree of slope to them. Mm-hmm. So we'd get the rains, and whatever seed I had left after rains and wind and turkeys and whatnot, it all seemed to migrate to one side of the field or mm-hmm. one corner. So it'd be really sparse, and you know, two thirds of the two thirds of the plot. But then I'd have this one corner. That would just be outstanding and everything be really thick and green. And it's just, uh, I kind of grew frustrated with that. Um, but yeah. you know, there's no substitute for getting it, you know, beneath the soil surface. And I actually had that happen. as well. Yeah. And you know, like not in, in the, it's just so inexact if you're broadcasting, you know, when you're doubling your seating rate, you're trying to accommodate for, turkeys and hogs and birds and and things of that nature uh you don't know what's going to germinate where so you may have these patches like you said where i'm getting it's over germination you know you get too many plants per square foot uh in one area of the plot and then you got another area that is that is sparse and you know we saw this this past spring when we no-tilled we had great conditions same kind of deal i have invested in a crimper so i do have a crimper now and this spring we we spread our seeds with a broadcaster. We crimped our vegetation on top of our seeds. And then I actually came back because I knew I had a lot of weedy competition in the field. I came back and actually herbicided on top of the crimping the same day, just to, as a little added element to make sure I was terminating everything that was there. And what was it, Butch? Like the next day, I, I think we got, it was something like eight inches of rain. Ooh, it was crazy. And Probably the whole sure. field was flooded. And and it would just flash flood, you know, it flooded. And then four hours later it was gone, but so was a lot of that seed. It floated it out. And so this summer I've had, you know, I've got some areas of the plot that the, the millets and the corn, I mean, I've been planting some corn and it's come up fine, but millets and corn has, is looking great. And then I got other areas of the field that is just uh, a lot of just, just weeds stuff. That's not, not really what I want there. But the cool thing is to see has been that even with my, redneck budget whatever you want to call it method uh my soil samples are improving so you know uh, this year as i go into fall i'm not i'm not needing to put as much fertilizer you know in with my planting and you know i'm not needing don't need any lime at all so i'm I'm seeing some good improvements already even not doing it the most efficient way i could but i will be investing in a drill i've got my reasons for not having one yet but We'll get into that in a little while. You touched on it a little bit there in the beginning, Paul, talking about, you know, doing the disking and killing the worms. And Joe, we're talking about his soil samples improving over the years. Why is that, Paul? 
Well, I would assume that uh, his soil samples are improving because he's, he's letting those crops uh, dry up and, and turn into fertilizer. You know, as those those plants, that previous vegetation decays, um, you know, it's, it's like slow release fertilizer. And it's slowly going to improve that pH. I've done it myself on on my farm uh, by planting and crimping. And to be honest with you, when uh, Grant started talking about it, and and I seen Gabe Brown and David Brandt and Ray Archuleta and other people talking about it, I was like, man, I'm I was a real skeptic. You know, I was all in on no-till, but the whole crimping thing, I was like, gosh, I don't know if I if I buy that. But I've seen. Uh, such a uh, an improvement at my place, and I've got I've got a lot of red dirt, and and the pH is in the low fives, and now now all my stuff's above six. I have I haven't added lime, done any lime treatments, or added any fertilizer probably for four or five years, and every year my pH keeps getting better. And when you talk about worms, I mean you see you see other people like Grant on videos. They'll grab a root and you know pick up some you know, pick up a plant and there's all kinds of uh, earthworms in there. I'm amazed when I do that in my place, because yeah. when I bought my farm, there was a lot of nasty red dead soil and it, it looks good now. You know, there's, there's proof in the pudding, but you know, that's one of the things with no-till and, and the, the, you know, planting green and crimping and doing all these things. It's not an overnight success. You know, it takes time, you know, and, and a lot of people don't understand that. The good part uh, about that is most landowners do. You know, you're yeah. if you're a timber landowner, you you're putting something in the ground that you may not see any real return on investment for thirty years. Sometimes you're planting it for a next generation. That's true. So thinking about food plots where you're starting to see results in a few years versus you know having to wait decades, it's really not that long to wait. And that that um, excites me. That's why I asked you that. Yeah. that- that that part really excites me. Like I understand the time savings and money savings and all that, but being being able to make your land better and make the soil better for your plants and your deer that that that's yeah. really cool to me. Yeah, it's very cool. So you know, getting into why I don't have a drill yet. I purchased my property, and there was a few small fields there, but they were rough. I've banged up some equipment in my food plots. There's an occasional uh, root left over stump left over from past timber harvest and I actually went in uh with plans to expand all my fields and even make some new fields. So that's what I've been doing in the meantime is is going out into these areas. We had a timber harvest done, uh took some timber out of there, but I've still got stumps. I've still got a lot of slash around and I didn't want to buy a, a nice drill and then go out there and tear it up uh because I didn't have my place the way it needed to be. And I've looked into renting a drill uh, from the NRCS and it just, the feasibility of doing it all at where my property is located just didn't work out. So that's why I've migrated to that broadcast method. But that doesn't mean that I don't see the value in a drill. And like I said, I will be investing in one when I get my place into the position where it'll really make sense. So, so you hit on it a little bit talking about less passes, which just equates to less tractor time, which some people probably don't don't like that. I know I enjoy my I enjoy my tractor time. You know, it's my time to kind of think to myself. But there's plenty of other things I could be doing on my property with a tractor besides planting food plots. How how much less seed do you use? So going from broadcasting to a drill, how much more precise is it? Oh, it's it's incredibly 
incredibly more precise. You know, you, you know, within our drills, you can calibrate, I mean, so accurate is, you know, you, you're, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be really surprised by it. But I read an article somewhere in a farm magazine that farmers can reduce or do reduce their, their seed cost by 30% when they no-till. Mm-hmm. Now, that can be skewed by how much land they have. You know, if you're, if you're planting, you know, a couple acres, you're probably not going to notice a whole lot, but the more you plant, the more more savings you're going to have, you know, and the nice thing with, with no tilling and it being precise is you're putting, you know, so many seeds per acre, you're putting it, you know, you got a seed every six inches or whatever, you're spacing that seed out because some seed doesn't, I mean, like brassicas, for instance, they don't like, uh, they don't like competition. We don't right. like to be planted right on top of each other. So when you're broadcasting, it's just kind of sling it out there and see what happens. And that's not saying it doesn't work. It's just you're going to have to plant a lot more. So with the drill, you can adjust your seeding rate and your seeding intervals? Correct, yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, and real simple with our machine. You set, uh, there's one, there's a gate setting that you set it to the seed size. And then you've got two actually three knobs on on the other side where we have what we call a variable clutch variable clutch what it does is the adjustment uh increases how fast the, the rotor turns and how fast the seed goes out so if you're wanting one seed every you know every 12 inches and you're you're going uh, real slow you want it faster than you turn it to where that 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 uh, rotor's turning you know faster and you're getting more seed out in the ground with that seed box, are there any limitations to how small of a seed you can apply or how big of a seed you can apply? No, not at all. You know, and the funny thing is I get I get a lot of people that find me somehow in uh, countries you wouldn't expect. I've, I've talked to people recently in Georgia, uh, not the country, not the state. I've talked to people in Taiwan, France, different countries. And every time those people come to you, they come to you with some crazy seed you've never heard of. So you've got to do the research to look at the seed size. Is it round or is it square, this or that? Um, but yeah, as far as size, um, you know, clover to corn is what we say in our sales pitch. But, you know, mustard seed, brassica seed, um, there's all kinds of seeds that are really tiny. We handle them just fine. We can get clover down to about a pound an acre. And on the big size, you know, people are putting out chufas, sunflowers, soybeans, uh, corn, um, you know, you name it. The only seed we have difficulty with is uh, the native seeds, the warm season grasses like blue stem. And that's because they bridge and they, they you know, they, they like to ball up and not fall. But we're working on that. We've got a native box we're coming out with probably in the spring. Done a lot of research, look at our competition. And uh, I think we've got one that, that everyone will be happy with. I've seen there are other companies and don't mean to bash anyone. They have a native seed box, but I don't, you know, we bought them and experimented with them. I didn't like the way they worked. Um, calibration was difficult or they didn't exactly grab the seed the way you wanted to keep it stirred. So we do have a box coming We're we're trying to see if we can get some patents on it, but uh, should be having a, a native box coming in the spring. That's exciting to hear. We've done a couple of podcasts on here on on native vegetation and, and native seeds, and that was one of the issues is, you know, the drills that are supposed to work for them. I mean, they're very, very, very expensive and hard to come by. And 
you know, as we know, na- the importance of, of native ve- vegetation. So to hear that that's possible is very exciting, especially too, because native seeds are very expensive. I mean, if you start talking about saving, you know, 30% of, of seed costs, go look at what native seeds cost. And then you'll be like, oh, wow. Okay. If I want to do that, I better be precise. Yeah, I got but, to do that right. Mm-hmm. You know, going, going back to some of the issues that I've faced personally, with a, with a broadcast method, as we mentioned previously, you know, that dependency on rainfall is huge. I mean, I, I kind of tell my wife, like our, our planning window where, where my property is, is from pretty much the last week in September on up to, you know, the first couple of weeks, of October is really when, when we try to put our fall blends in the ground. And I just kind of have a flexible kitchen pass from her. Like, listen, I may just tell you on like Monday that I'm going up there on Tuesday it no you know i'll just take that day off of work and go because i just got to you know i mean it's sure. there's the rain and i got to go do it got to get it in and we kind of get everything ready and then we start watching the forecast and, but that even still is a problem from time to time so how much dependency do you have on rainfall when you're using a drill are you able to put it in the ground and just kind of wait or do you still want to time it with an you know an expected rain event you you really want to time it um because that you know, you're going to get quicker germination that way, you know, but it can sit there. You know, you can plant it. I plan, we were planning out this week. It's, you know, over a hundred degrees up here in Missouri and, and we're not expecting rain to who knows when, but you know, we went ahead and planted it. It'll sit there until it rains. It's not going to go anywhere. The one thing you don't want to do is, is if you're not expecting rainfall is go out and no-till and get it into moist soil. Uh, you know, you get it down to that soil structure and you got moisture there because then the seeds will germinate. And then if it comes up and you've got hot, dry weather, that stuff popped and and then it's just going to dry up. So, yeah. you know, it's another consideration. It's not just rainfall. It's when is that rainfall coming and looking at what your what your soil conditions are. And you got moisture there uh, and that seed pops. You better have moisture coming as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. All things you have to think about. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of the businesses that make this show free for you every episode. Uh, This week is brought to us by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. It's also brought to you by Field Torque. Introducing the Field Torque Field Dressing Super Tool for hunters. Field Torque is five times faster, safer, and cleaner than conventional field dressing. The Super Tool does it with a bone cutter, flesh cutter, and gut hook all in one. You can tackle elk, deer, hogs, and more without resharpening or replacing blades during the process. The Field Torque Super Tool's bone cutting assist design allows for easy pelvic removal and breastplate separation without broken or dull blades, allowing for unobstructed or damaged entrail removal. Includes a heavy-duty sheath and ceramic sharpener Get yours today at fieldtorque.com and also found on Amazon. Well, you, you mentioned less herbicide. How's a drill going to help you use less herbicide? Because uh, you're not turning the soil, bringing up all those native weeds. 
Yeah. You know, you turn the soil and I, you can, you can turn it this year and you're going to bring up a bunch of native, you know, weeds that were in there for centuries and you're going to spray them and you're going to think you got them. And next year when you disc or till again, they're going to come right back, you know, and, and you're not going to reduce that to nothing right off the bat. Um, and you may never reduce it to nothing because, you know, there's no such thing as perfect. But when you're not turning that soil, let's say you've been disking for years and then you come in and no-till, you're still going to have some of those weeds coming up. You spray, the next year you're going to have fewer weeds. Uh, and, and the more years you go, uh, you know, the less weed competition you're going to have. So, you know, you're going to reduce that need for herbicide. And if you get into the practice of crimping, you know, you might get to where you're only spot spraying. So uh, I don't I don't know that you ever completely get away from it. But, you know, herbicide is, is not cheap. And, you know, a lot of people are worried about, uh, you know, the cancer scares and all this stuff. And then you got licensing problems and, you know, the cost of herbicide I mean, just glyphosate has just gone through the roof. Um, so, you know, if you can get away from that, you know, and if you can do like you do, uh, you know, with your practices, sound like your P your pH is getting better because you're letting those plants stand, you know, eventually you're going to you reduce not only herbicides, but for, uh, reduce the need for, for uh, fertilizer inputs as well. It's very interesting to go up to the proving grounds and see, what 20 years of doing this looks like and you know talking to grant i don't think and i may be misquoting this but i don't think he's put any fertilizer or herbicide out on his food plots in something like close to a decade and it's been a long time you know when you start to look at the uh the cost of herbicide the cost of synthetic fertilizers the cost of your time that's the other thing i don't think people put enough value on is you know, having to go make that extra trip back to the camp to get to replant, having to make that extra two, three, four passes with the tractor, the wear and tear on your equipment, the diesel fuel, just your butt in the seat time. Uh, how much that really costs you per acre of food plot planted? It, it's it's significant. And if you can reduce all those things down to just basically the initial investment of the equipment the minimal amount of tractor time and diesel fuel and the seed it's huge savings over time. Do you have any stats? Have you ever looked into, you know, how quickly a no-till drill pays for itself? No. Cause again, it, it depends on how much you're planting, you know, it, it would be hard to put a number to that, but you know, I, I don't think it takes as long as what people think. Yeah. Uh, we get this argument with people with crimpers as well. You know, people are like, I'll just go spray. You know, I can't, I can't afford a crimper You know, that crimpers, you know, five, $6,000, whatever. But when you start looking at how much you pay for a sprayer, how much you're paying for maintenance on the sprayer and how much time you're out there and how much your herbicide costs, it really doesn't take a long time to, to see the benefit and get, get these things, you know, get your return on investment, you know, not, not as long as you think. And, and the bigger your property, the faster your return is going to be. Yeah, it makes sense to you, me. And you and I did that math at one point, Joe. On my place, I think we decided that I was planting about thirty acres a year. Yeah. Um, and we did the math, and it was not that long that it no. took to pay for itself. You know, just no. a rudimentary, rudimentary math problem we did. It was not no. very long at all. It was definitely not a. I mean, if if you were looking at it like an investment, 
in any investment, it was it was a go for sure. Yeah, definitely. I don't know though, Paul. I'm going to miss having to run back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to the camp and fill my sprayer tank up. You know, I really love doing that every fall and every spring. I'm going to miss that. Yeah, I'm sure you will. And and that doesn't count all the trips you've got to make to the the farm store or the feed store trying to find the herbicide and the different things that you you know you need because. You know, there's a short window, you know, we're all out there planning at the same time. So I don't know how many times I've thought at the last minute, I need some glyphosate. I, I run down to, uh, you know, Orslands or Tractor Supply or someplace and they don't have any. So then I got to run to the next town or to the next store. And, you know, there's all that time and wasted fuel and aggravation as well. Yep, definitely. As we mentioned a little bit, it's a little bit of a transition. You know, you've done one way your whole your whole life and or, you know, watched your dad do it his whole life the same way. Do you see more people just jumping right into it and buying the drill, or do more people kind of ease into it like Joe's doing? Ooh, good question. Um, You'd be surprised at the number of people to just jump right in. And it's funny because this time of year is usually when we hear from those people. You know, they a lot of people get to where, you know, it's just the last straw. You know, that sprayer broke down again, or I'm tired of dealing you know, I just couldn't get get my plots in, you know, because that's the other thing we deal with. A lot of us are, you know, it's a short window. We can't, you know, you only got so many days you can do it. And that day you want to do it, it, it rains. So there's a lot of people that get, uh, you know, frustrated with the methods they've been using for years. And they they keep watching the videos or reading and they, they just jump right in, you know, and then the problem we have with a lot of those people is they get frustrated because they think they're going to get success overnight. And it's not, mm-hmm. you know, it's not an overnight success. And there is a bit of, of a learning curve with, with no-till, you know, when to plant, where to plant, what rates to plant. A lot of people think because they watch videos, I just hook this thing on a tracker and I throw some seed in and I drive. I don't, I don't have to calibrate. I don't have to worry about how deep it is. And it's, it's not, it's not foolproof. Excuse me. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people to jump in without uh, easing in, but there there are still great numbers of people that do ease in. And I, you know, we're, we're happy to deal with either one of them. You know, Paul, I mentioned earlier, my, my main reason for not currently owning a drill is twofold. One, I know that where I need to keep it on my property currently is not, it's pretty visible. You know, I, I don't really want to be three and a half hours away with an expensive piece of equipment, you know, there for everybody to see. So I'm, I'm in the process of moving my camp. And when I get myself into a position where I've got a little bit, a little bit better storage for it, that's one element. The other element of course, is just not really having the seed bed ready for a drill. I don't want to go pulling this thing across a tree stump or something like that. So as far as problems with the drills themselves, what are, what are some of the common problems people face when they're just getting into this new piece of equipment, they're, they're not used to, what are they, how do they tear them up? Cause I will do that. <laughs> uh, I, I laugh because I deal with this a lot. Um, the big, biggest problem people have is they go too fast. They, they think because that tractor can go 10 miles an hour across the field that that no till is okay. It is not. Your um, dad never does that, Butch. No, nah. no, nah, you know, it's always just easing around. Really- yeah, you know, with a with a disc, you can get away with that. You know, you can fly with a disc, but with a no till, you need to take your time. You know, and it, and if you have a perfect perfect level plot and there's no rocks, no stumps or anything, man, you could probably 
probably go 10 miles an hour, but most people don't. They have dips and mounds and rocks and stumps. So, you know, I always tell people, take your time. You know, yeah, that's an expensive piece of equipment. If you take care of it, it'll take, take care of it. It'll take care of you. Uh, the other thing is a lot of people, you know, we don't have square, perfectly square, perfectly rectangle plot. So they end up making sharp turns in the ground and you put, you know, eight discs, uh, eight sets of disc or 13 sets of disc or uh, whatever in the ground and you try to make a sharp turn, that's a lot of torque. Um, so something has to give. Typically, the ground doesn't give. The tractor doesn't give. So it's something on the no-till. Generally, the issues or maybe the breakages we have are the same things over and over. And, and you can narrow it down to people who are either going too fast or making hard turns in the ground. And, and it's, you know, that's pretty basic stuff, but, Guilty. you know, yeah, when you, when I, when I go out and train people, I tell them, look, go in straight lines, lift it up, lower it down easy. Don't slam it down and, and uh, you know, just go straight line back and forth uh, and keep it, you know, you know, two miles an hour would be great. Uh, but, you know, adjust to your soil, your, your soil or your terrain conditions. And uh, generally those people don't have problems, but, you know, people, a lot of the people that, that buy these don't have a lot of experience. You know, we were talking about benefits earlier of no-tilling. And one of the problems that I've run into, and I, I guess it's a subjective problem, but uh, using the herbicide and broadcast method, I've got to terminate my existing vegetation before I put my new seeds in the ground. And, you know, kind of explaining the process I've been using well, I just, just went through this. I went up there, uh, I think it was last weekend and herbicided my fields. And up to that point, I had a, a summer crop growing, you know, lots of different things out there for the deer and the turkeys. And, you know, I got a couple of game cameras set up or several game cameras set up one on each of my food plots. And I've been getting good pictures all summer long, you know, just lots of bucks, lots of, lots of deer, pregnant does, turkeys, all kinds of stuff coming by. It's been a lot of fun to watch, but after I herbicided those fields, I'm not getting hardly any pictures anymore. And so what that tells me is that those animals have stopped using those areas and rightly so. It's a bunch of dead decaying plant matter out there. I, yeah. I can't blame them, but you know, take me through the benefit of being able to plant green in the fall. Plant green has multiple benefits and, and one you know, your big one is for you is, is you got groceries there for the critters all the time, you know, and, and you're right. You know, if they're used to having that buffet out there for them and all of a sudden they show up and it's not there, they're going to go find the other buffet. So keeping, keeping something green out there all the time is good for that, but it's also good for the soil. You know, you're keeping that soil in place, you know, and those plants, if you're planting, especially if you're planting a, you know, a variety of seeds, they, they're dependent on each other. You know, so keeping keeping something green in the ground is beneficial for your soil, um, beneficial for the wildlife, you know. So it's 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 uh, it's twofold, if you will. But if, if you allow me, one of the things you you asked a question about uh, problems that people have. And if I can go back, here's a here's a third problem that I thought of. And another big one is guys get on the tractor, they fill their planter up and they go drive. They never check their seed depth. I can't tell you how important that is. We just did training with a 
fairly large celebrity. He's got a big hunting show. Went out, worked with his farm manager, went through everything, told him how to calibrate, set your seed. I told him, you know, it's very important that you drive about 20 yards, get out, see where your seed depth is. And here's how you adjust it. You know, went through all of that. He dumped the seed in, he jumped in the tractor and he was flying across that field, probably 10 miles an hour, just as fast as he could go. And I was watching all the dust fly. We're over in Kansas and, and I went and looked at seed. All the seed was on the ground and the, the settings were a half inch and it was super dry. And I'm trying to flag him down. And he planted this whole five acre field with, and I couldn't get him to stop. And, uh, you know, I had to lecture him a little bit, but, you know, checking your seed depth uh, when you're no-tilling is, is, is very crucial, you know, if you want to get good germination. I'm glad you brought that up. How do you accommodate for different seeds that need different depths? So if you've got a seed that needs to be a quarter inch under the ground and one that needs to be an inch down, do you have to plant them separately or are you able to blend them still in the box? I mean, how does that work? Uh, a lot of people ask that question, obviously, but uh, yeah, you're, you're usually with a blend, you're planting for, for the smaller seed. You know, if they want to be a quarter inch, you know, typically you can plant in that quarter inch to half inch and, you know, your bigger seeds, your soybeans, the stuff that want to be deeper can handle that. And then your, your shallow seeds, like your, your clovers and uh, brassicas, which don't have a lot of energy, they're not getting too deep. You know, and a lot of people worry. I think, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me is that they worry about stratification. I hear that a lot. Is it going to stratify? You know, is all the is all the small seeds going to drop or all the big seeds going to drop? But it doesn't matter. That that hopper, if you fill that hopper up with a, a variety and you got small seeds, big seeds they're not in there long enough that they're going to shake and bounce and separate. So we always tell them set, set the gate for the largest seed and set the depth for the, for the smallest seed. Great advice. Well, Paul, you know, uh, as you, as we mentioned, you now have pH outdoors for those folks that own Genesis no-till drills. What does, what does this mean for them? Well, hopefully it means good things. Um, you know, one of the bigger questions I get from people is, is what about parts? And when we started designing our new drill, we started to go in a completely new direction. And then I thought, well, let's, uh, let's keep the old users in mind. There's a lot of people I know, a lot of, you know, a lot of loyal followers. So we designed the drill with a similar platform. It's not exactly the same. It looks, looks very similar in a picture. But the parts will interchange. Uh, well, our parts will interchange. The old parts won't fit our drill, but our drill, the new parts will fit the old drill. So those people will have support, support on parts going forward. There may be some situations where, you know, if you buy a, a small seed box, for instance, you got to buy some adapter plates, but they'll, they'll fit. You know, the packing wheels, the bearings, all things they'll be interchangeable. So they're going to have that ongoing support of, of parts. You know, I was tied to that drill. So you got, you got technical issues, technical, technical issues, happy to, happy to help you out. You know, so I think that's a good thing. And I think a lot of those, those users, you know, some, one of the questions I get is why is your, how's your machine different? Cause a lot of those people, believe it or not, we've, we've been doing food plot equipment for, gosh, seven years at least. Um, so a lot of those people are ready to either update or, you know, they've wore their machines out. They want something new. So, you know, that 
that's important to them, you know, because you've got to, you've always got to be developing new things and following new trends. And, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of changes and, and uh, updates to, or upgrades to these machines that will make, uh, make a lot of those old, old uners happy. Well, Paul, it's always a lot of fun talking no-till. It's something that um, I'm pretty passionate about myself. And like Butch was saying, the idea that I can make my property better for whoever takes it over after me. It's just something I can get behind. And, and like you said, it's not at all a, uh, you know, condescending towards anybody that's using conventional tillage. We're all out oh, there trying yeah. to improve the habitat. And I think you've done a good job of explaining a bunch of different ways somebody could get into no-till if they want to. And if they're thinking about a drill, some of the problems that they may face and, and kind of seeing around corners for them. But if folks want to get in touch with you, either look at, to look at the, you know, the PH Outdoors website, check out the new drills, or just to talk to you and ask questions about their unique situation. What's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can go to our social media or to our website and uh, there's emails on there. The we're keep in mind we're PH dash outdoors, but uh, if they just want to email me direct, it's Paul at PH dash outdoors.com. I'm happy to talk to anybody, anytime, help them out. That's what we're here for. And, I've got a passion for it, so I enjoy it. Just, uh, you know, be patient because I'm, I'm traveling a lot, but I, I will get back to them. So appreciate you guys. Yeah, heck yeah, Paul. Thanks a lot for joining us. Enjoyed it. You, great podcast, great information. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. You bet. All right, folks, we're going to be right back. Y'all take a minute and check out some of our sponsors. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. Farm Credit of Northwest Florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live, work, or play in the country. Farm Credit is here to help you make your dream of country living a reality. Their unique cooperative structure allows them to return some of their profits back to their borrowers. This patronage distribution effectively lowers a borrower's rate. To get started with your first or next land purchase, give them a call at 855-GO-RURAL or visit them at www.gorural.net. Butch, you've seen my fields uh, done with a you know poor man's no-till method. You've, of course, seen plenty of fields planted conventionally, conventional tillage. Did you notice did you notice much of a difference, you know, looking at my fields versus what you're used to seeing? No, I really don't. I really can't tell a difference in, in your broadcast method and our, you know, conventional method of of everything that we do. And also, honestly, you, you still deal with the same bad issues as far as timing. Right. I mean, you really do. It seems yeah. like that's what it seems like to me. I mean, I, I'm definitely that's more exactly right. I mean, I can't wait to get a drill. I mean, like I said, for me, it's not a if, it's a win. Sure. Just a matter of, you know, I'm pretty good at tearing stuff up. I don't <laughs> I want to make sure I get all the stumps out and no doubt. Uh, I have a good place to, to store it. But I mean, you know, it's easy. It's it is easier. It's fewer passes doing it. Even doing no till without a drill is fewer passes. It's less time. But I still am contending with the same, the same weed issues, the same precipitation issues, the same seed seed to soil contact issues. But uh, going to a drill is going to be way 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 easier for me. And it's Pardon a big me. deal for me personally to be you know three hours away from my property to just be able to say. All right, Butch, let's go up there on this weekend, and we're not going to really have to worry too, too much about precipitation. Uh, you know, we don't have to nail it necessarily. Right. You got uh, a lot, much more leeway. Yeah, we're going to plant. Like, we are going to plant. 
um, this weekend. And, you know, for us with busy lives and, you know, lots of areas that need attention besides our food plots, it, it'll, it'll pay for itself easily, uh, in a very short period of time, along with all the other benefits that are there that are, you, you can't put a dollar value on. I mean, it, there's just a sense of pride with at least, at least a, a little bit of a feeling of righteousness that like, Hey, I'm, I'm doing the best thing that I know how to do right now. And, um, yeah, trying to treat, trying to treat the place and leave it better than the way you found it. That's my whole I'm, goal. I am still getting educated on this. I know much more now after this podcast than I did even after the first one we did with Paul. So I was, I had some, you know, better questions and just a little bit more knowledge. And the more that I learn, the more like it seems, it seems like a much easier transition than you think it would be. And the benefits also seem like a no brainer to me. You're in a different, a little bit different situation with me than, than I am. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in your situation where it's not as simple as just Butch wants to do it or not. Like you've got other people that you need to convince of this. And yeah, the more we talk about it, the more you have a command of the benefits of, of no-till. I think eventually it's going to, it's going to catch on and this is going to be the standard practice, but we got a long way to go. Yep. Absolutely, man. Just keep educating people and getting the word out. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you to get the podcast emailed to you each week. Just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's show is brought to you by Texas Hunter. Since 1954, Texas Hunter Products has delivered the finest quality fish and game feeders and hunting blinds in the industry. To learn more, visit texashunter.com. And also brought to you by Mallard Bay Outdoors. Book your next guided hunting or fishing trip with thoroughly vetted guides or charters. Built by sportsmen for sportsmen. Mallardbay.com. And also, Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. They now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. And also by Bucks Island Marine. Bucks Island is a full-service facility that sells new and used boats and motors. Visit them at 4500 Highway 77, Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256 442 2588 and also brought to you by farm credit of northwest florida farm credit of northwest florida has over a century of experience providing financing for people who live work or play in the country to get started with your first or next land purchase give them a call at 855 go rural or visit them at www.goruural.net